Well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to a new episode of the Sink or Swim podcast. My name is Miguel Balanceron. I'm a fourth-year medical student here at NSUMD, and today I'm with two of my fellow students, Skylar Coetzee and Jack Bayer, which they're both M4s. So would you please introduce yourselves. All right. Well, I'm Skylar. I'm also a fourth-year student here at NOVA. Um, I'm originally from Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, which is like in the Panhandle area, and I'm applying dermatology this cycle. Hi, I'm Jack. I am originally from Rochester, New York. Went to Florida Atlantic University for undergrad, and now I'm here at NSUMD, and I will be applying to orthopedic surgery. All right, good. Four short years later, here we are. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about away rotations. Just definitely a big deal for matching and fourth-year students and for third-year students to think about as they're they're wrapping up their their final tasks. Um, well, uh, I myself have done two away rotations uh, this past year. Jack has done five now. I'm up to five. Jags up to five. You're going to six. I'm going to my sixth next month. Going to your sixth next month. Okay. And Skylar has done four. She's going to her fifth rotation in the coming month too. All right. So, well, let's 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 walk through briefly how people can get these away rotations. You know, like across the country or next door, wherever you choose to to go. Um, so I can start. Uh, so there's the Vislo website. I think all of us used it. Uh, visiting student learning opportunities. Uh, that website is actually it's very similar to ERAS, to, to the ERAS website. So you can just put in your information, your test scores, letters of recommendation if you need them, and then you can just pick, handpick which specialty and which program out of the country and apply and hopefully get a response that you can you can go to. Yeah, and some of them require like a short essay or that is true. requirements or a letter of recommendation. Or I, I applied personally to the ones that just required a resume, your step scores, and that was about it. I kind of applied to the quickest ones I could, and I applied really broadly. That's one thing I would recommend. Um, definitely get started early. As soon as the platform opens, I would recommend making the account and familiarizing yourself just with what's needed, getting everything together, so that the day that you can start applying, you can go ahead and submit your applications because they're pretty competitive um, spots. I'm not sure how many for you, Jack or Miguel, but some of them only have one spot available per month. So you want to make sure you get started early. Yeah, that is true. Even one of my ways required a lot of recommendation, which most of them didn't. Most of them were just test scores, rest, your CV, um, a picture of yourself, all the vaccinations and stuff. Okay. Um, can each of you talk to me, like, uh, how many away rotations you think you applied to during that process? Um, where to in the country you applied for this, et cetera? Yeah, I think my strategy was I kind of prefer Northeast or Southeast or the Central area. So I applied to maybe 20 to 30 programs, but I applied to all their dates. Um, and then as I, was, I would get accepted to an away rotation, I would withdraw all the dates that conflicted with that, and I just kept doing that as I went. I did end up having to decline um, two away rotations because I accidentally didn't delete the dates, so I think it's just important that as soon as you accept something, then just delete anything <clears throat> that will conflict with it, so you're not really burning any bridges. 
Yeah, I would agree with Jack. I also applied pretty broadly. Um, but as I started getting acceptances, you need to withdraw as soon as possible so that you don't have overlap um, because that's not good. <laughs> yeah. I also forgot to mention at the beginning, I'm applying uh, for internal medicine. And then Jack is for orthopedic surgery and Scott is applying for dermatology. I think I ended up applying for a bunch of dates too. Each application was around $15, right? Was there an extra fee with the applications like towards the end or was it just straight no, it 15? Was, it was 15. Well, it would depend on the program. Like, so if I get accepted to a place, they would ask for like a bonus fee. So that ranged anywhere from 75 to $150 um, to make your acceptance. Yeah. There's a couple programs like Harvard that were like, hey, you have to pay us like $150 just to apply. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that is true. So, yeah. You got to consider that with your finances. Yeah, I think overall I, I had to spend with all the applications around, it's like around $800 uh, between all the programs I applied to and their dates. Yeah. It was an expensive process, but everywhere is expensive. But you got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah, that's um, not the time to save money. Okay. Um, have any of you acquired away rotations outside of the VSLO? website service i can speak on that because i got um started because dermatology is such a small field and our school doesn't have a home program necessarily i knew that getting these away rotations would be really critical to get letters for example for the residency applications um so i actually started emailing programs with my interest in rotating with them in the winter of my third year of medical school normally you apply to away rotations in like march or april i actually started emailing december january time and a lot of the times they told me to check back in a couple months later, but I felt that it was really important to reach out, especially to more local programs, so that they know your interest. And then when it came time in March and April, I reached back out and I actually obtained uh, one of my away rotations that way. So that's good to hear. So it seems like, apart from Vizlo, just emailing the program directors or coordinators, and that's the other way of getting a, a rotation. Yeah, I actually, I didn't email a program director. I emailed sort of the residency email address. I'm not sure how it would work in terms of whether it's recommended to email the program director directly, but um, that's how I got mine. I was in contact with residents more so. Okay. All right, well, now that we're through with that, um, let's, let's talk about uh, the away rotations, uh, you know, the experiences in general. Um, so Jack, maybe we can start with you. You've done five away rotations so far. So why don't you walk us through through that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I like the idea of um, doing as much as you can in your fourth year, just getting out there and getting after it. Um, one thing that was an issue for my first away was that I didn't give myself enough time to <clears throat> adequate, adequately study for it. So, um, oh, I remember that you had you finished step two and then you had to like take off right away. Yeah, so I finished step two on that Friday. I drove immediately to Kentucky and then I would start on that Monday. So, um, I was a little overzealous with that. It would have been nice to have like a little break just to kind of get the, the prerequisite knowledge down so you're ready to go in and you're sharp. Um, ultimately. I don't think my knowledge was there for the first one, but I think like I still put in a ton of work and um, and I really got a lot of info down so I could shine in my the next four rotations. So it was really helpful with that, just learning how to splint, 
learning how to just about ortho in general of just being in the OR and having OR etiquette. Um, so I definitely don't regret that experience, but if you are concerned about that, I would do something like a elective that can prepare you for ortho, like radiology, but also give you enough time because it's not as demanding um, to like have like a dedicated study period so you go in sharp. All my rotations were pretty similar. You'd have five or six call shifts. Um, you'd be on for, they would say 24 hours straight, but sometimes they would say, um, go into the surgery in the morning and then forget that you're up post-call. So or every once in a while, I'd be on for like 40 hours, um, which is definitely tough. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot. Um, How many? So yeah, it was exhausting, but I think it had been a fun time. I had fun during yeah. all my rotations. What, what cities and like what months and cities do you go to? So I went from Kentucky, which is Lexington, Kentucky, to UConn, which is in Farmington, Connecticut, uh, University of Rochester, which is in Rochester, New York, uh, Georgetown, which is in D.C., and then Ohio State, which is in Columbus. And then something for me that I realized is like I want a busy hospital, but not a busy area. I think like your living situation is really important, and I realized that it's really difficult for me to be in a place that it takes several hours to, of driving just to get like a few miles. So I like, I like driving cities rather than public transportation and all that stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. You definitely want your time off to be as relaxed as possible, get home, rest, and then get back to, to mm -hmm. your rotations. Okay. Um, how, many, how many surgeries would you have to be in a day? Like usually... Usually it'd be like... Did it vary a lot by rotation site? So as a weight rotator, which is pretty unique, actually it's not that unique because that's what all the ortho programs do, but um, you're going to be operating a lot more than the interns. So you're going to pick up a lot of OR experience and you may go into residency expecting a similar thing, but that, that's not going to be the case. They do a lot more of the floor work. They don't really see the OR nearly as much as you for... At least the away rotations I was on, they primarily have you in the OR like four out of five days in the week, or like if you're on six days a week or seven days a week, they'll still have you probably in the OR. Your call shifts are more ED oriented, so you go down, see consults, um, get get the materials ready for reductions and all that stuff. Mm. So yeah. a lot of OR experience. Yeah, I think there's something uh, I wanted to mention earlier um, I'm not sure how many people know this, but there's there's a reason why, like you as an ortho applicant, you have to take on so many away rotations, right? Yeah, <clears throat> ortho has a lot, and you you just have to know your specialty. Ortho is has a lot of priority on away rotators, and some programs have a lot of priority on their home students. So there's a website you can look on that. It's like the um, AAOS, I believe it is American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery, and um, you can see the bias that certain programs have for their home students. It'll tell you what percentage are from the home school and then also what percentage of residents did an away rotation there. So it's something else to consider. And that, pro that website will also show you if the program will interview you during the, um, during the rotation, which is nice. Okay. Did, did you handpick most of your programs for away rotations based on how likely they're to take an away rotator or... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely something I considered. Like, I saw Georgetown did um, did interviews during the away rotation. Kentucky interviewed me during their away rotation. 
Um, but also, yeah, I can see that there's a lot of bias at UConn. I believe it was 65% away rotators or residents. Um, Ohio State had like a mix of homeschool bias and away rotator bias. So something to consider because in orthopedic surgery, I believe it's 50% of applicants match into a place they did an away rotation. So there's a huge bias there. Yeah, and you're going to your six now. <laughs> I'm going to my six. So I'm hoping that I really helped my odds a lot. Yeah. Uh, what city are you going next? Orlando Health. Okay. Yeah, so oh, in so Orlando. More local, yeah, staying in Florida this time. Yeah. All right. Okay. Oh, Skyler, can you uh, walk us through, uh, you know, the months and the, the places you did your away rotations at? Yeah, so I started after step as well. In June, I went to the University of Vermont. In July, I went to Tampa, U uh, University of South Florida. In August, I stayed more local at Broward Health. Uh, this past month, I was at New York University, and then I'm going to Boston next. Okay, good, good. I don't know how you guys survived without taking a car with you. Yeah. I wanted to take a car, but, well, I went, I guess I'll just talk where I went then. So I only did two away rotations in compared to Jack here with five already and Skylar with four, and they each have one left. But I just did two away rotations. Uh, we all took step. We all studied for step in May, <laughs> and then we got it out of the way. And then, so then I went straight into a poem uh, elective. Then I did my medicine so by, and then I had my two away. So I went to Boston for the first one. So Boston's pretty like a uh, public transport heavy. So I didn't take my car. And then I went to Dallas right after, but the rotations were like very back to back. So I couldn't come back and get my car. So yeah, I just ended up having to go without car for two months. Which in Boston, it wasn't bad, but Dallas was more of a, you kind of need a car kind of city, so. Yeah, I think that's the benefit of doing away rotations is because you can see how other parts of the country, for example, cities um, operate in terms of public transport. Uh, Florida, of course, you do need a car. Um, and I did bring my car to Tampa as well as, of course, locally. But I found it very easy to navigate. Uh, for example, Vermont, I actually... Um, got housing on campus in the dorms, uh, the undergraduate um, housing, and I could walk to the hospital in about 10 minutes every morning, and the weather was beautiful, so that was a really nice opportunity. And then in New York, of course, the public transportation system is very, very sophisticated, so I never felt like I needed a car. Um, I don't know, Jack, did you ever have issues with parking or negotiating having a car? Yeah, so Georgetown was tough uh, with parking. So they didn't they didn't supply you or their even their home students. They didn't get any parking. So I met some home students that were like, I just park in the street. I don't buy a parking spot, which would be like two hundred dollars a month, um, and I just get two tickets a month on average, and that's still cheaper yeah, than buying. It'll still be less. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so that's something to consider. Um, Ohio State, the last two weeks, student I wasn't. Um, supplied parking or given parking so I took those um, the lime scooters and the bird scooters and I got a month of bird prime and I basically scooted for free every day so all right except it was tough because it was 35 degrees and yeah and I would do that like after like a 30-hour shift and just scoot okay. all around yeah Skylar I'm glad you brought up housing uh, we haven't talked about that especially you know if you're doing several ways rotations back to back it's definitely a big deal because you got to have a place to stay if you're going to different cities every now and then. Um, 
Jack, why don't, why don't we get started? Talk to us a little bit about how you went about securing housing all those five months. So I think if you're going in the summer, this is like a particular benefit that a lot of people are away from their houses in the summer. Like they might travel, they might visit family. So I went to Kentucky's university's Facebook page and just posted like if anyone has a sublease available. And that was the best value option. Um, the rest of them I did Airbnb, which got pretty expensive. Um, yeah, Airbnb is on the expensive <clears throat> side. Yeah, but I got really lucky with Kentucky because like I lived at this 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 girl's house and she took care of my dog while I'd be on those long shifts. So I also had to like make plans around my dog because uh, she came to my away rotations with me. Sometimes I'd have to drive up to New York and drop her off there. Um, and then I got really lucky with Georgetown because I had a really close buddy that lived there. So that's something to consider is applying to places where you have connections that you can stay at someone's house. He let me stay there for free and him and his wife cooked me food every day. Oh, that's so, great. When when you were studying for STEP, when did you hear about Kentucky? Like how much time do you have from the minute you were accepted to secure housing before you started rotating there? Let's see. So I think they accepted me. They probably accepted me for like the 45 or 60 days out or something. Oh, okay. You had time. You had time. So I had time. But yeah, I mean, that was difficult because I was doing step two. Um, but I, I made it work. Yeah. And there's some other websites too, right? That people can use for housing. Yeah, there's the, um, what's that? What, rotating room. Ro yeah, rotating rotating rooms. Room. I tried that a few times, but no one really would get back to me and a lot of places didn't accept a dog. One thing I would recommend doing, actually in undergrad, I worked <clears throat> as a resident assistant. So I'm very familiar with like the housing and residential kind of part of undergraduate campuses. And I would definitely recommend, especially over the summer, reaching out to the institution and see if they have on-campus housing um, that's accessible to visiting students because it's a very budget and cost-effective option um, and it's typically very close if, if the undergraduate campus or the campus is close to the hospital of course because for me like I said I did that for Vermont and I only had to walk like 10 minutes yeah. from the campus to the hospital so yeah you were only able to do that once out of your four rotations so far or Yes, and like Jack mentioned, doing it over the summer gives you a few more options in terms of that. Typically, their housing is full for their um, home students once you start kind of August onwards. For my others, I also did the Facebook option for Tampa, and I ended up subletting a room um, in one of the apartments nearby. I'm trying to think. And then for New York University, I managed to find sort of a short-term stay option in the city. And then for Boston, I'm doing an extended stay hotel just because it's mm. right on campus. Yeah. And I don't know the area as well. You want to get good proximity to the hospital, especially if you're working really long hours. Um, and you also have to judge whether or not you're familiar with the city enough to navigate it. Now for my two aways, my first away, I got pretty lucky because uh, Rob, another M4 student here at NSUMD, was also in Boston in the same month. So we were able to be roommates together, so that, that helped out a lot. And then when I went to Dallas, Texas, <clears throat> I did extend this to America for, for a whole month. I tried rotating room, but I also never really secured a place. Yeah, that. I think I tried it like two or three times, and no one would get back to me. I would yeah. email a bunch of people. There were some other ones too, like spare room. And you, I mean, you also have to be a little careful when things sound too good to be true, you know? Beware of scams out there. Okay. Well, all, just going on that, like... <clears throat> just like plan early, I think there was 
like on Airbnb, the prices will shoot up if you're doing it like two weeks in advance, which I had to do. I think I got, that's what I got kind of screwed over in Ohio with was my student loans didn't hit yet. So I wasn't able to afford like getting it early, which it would have been $900 for that month. I found a deal on that. And um, unfortunately I couldn't sign up for it because I didn't have any money. So I waited and then I had to do something like two weeks out and then it was $1,600 for the month when mm. I had money. Oh man, almost double. Yeah, it almost doubled, so. Yeah, finance is definitely something like third year, like, you know, second semester, third year students should keep in mind because you have step two, you gotta sign up for that, right? That was about $600 or so. Yeah, and then I think it was more. I thought it was like $800. It was, was it more this year? Oh, okay. I think uh, each step is like yeah. more expensive than the last. Yeah. I think like step three is going to be like $2,000. Yeah. crazy. Thing. And then you have all the VSLO applications, so that's at least a few hundred. And then you have your way rotation months, so you got to pay for rent and food at those places. And then you have ERAS right after, which is can also be quite expensive. So, yeah. Okay. I spent $5,000 on ERAS too. Wow, yeah, that, that is a lot. Um, how much do you have to spend on, on ERS Kai, roughly? Okay. Um, well, can you walk us through your way rotations? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, like when oh. was your first one? How easy was it to get housing your first time? And, you know, et cetera. Yeah, so I also got my acceptance for the University of Vermont during Step 2 Dedicated. But really, the VSLO system is very, very straightforward. You could just accept it right there in the platform. And if they have any sort of after acceptance things that you need to do, like vaccinations, um, forms, that kind of thing, it all gets taken care of through the platform. Um, and then about a week before the rotation is usually when you get the information and the scheduling and sort of a syllabus for the rotation. So that's really helpful so you can have an idea of what to expect. Um, starting off, my first rotation was only three weeks long. The rest were four weeks. And I mean, the day-to-day, -day, see, for dermatology is really different to orthopedic surgery as well as for internal medicine because it's pretty much clinic hours. So you can expect to be um, start your day around 7 o'clock and end around 5 or 6, probably at the latest. A lot of programs have morning didactics, so you have to make sure that you attend those either virtually or in person. And then clinic can start between eight and nine o'clock, um, typically with an hour for lunch, which was a pleasant surprise <laughs> since during third year, you don't really have built-in time for that kind of thing. So that was nice. Um, in my rotations, they pretty much let me do what I felt comfortable with. From the very first day, if I felt comfortable trying out the new EMR, um, I believe it was Epic that I started oh, okay. out with. Um, I could go ahead and start trying to write notes and, of course, get feedback. Um, seeing patients, depending on the rotation, you can see patients on your own with the resident or with the attending. It just really depends on sort of the institution and what their policies are. But you can be really engaged depending on, depending on the rotation. Yeah. Depending on the attending, because you could have a vastly different experience with two different attendings in the same institution. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, some attendings give you can give you a lot more room than mm -hmm. another attending. Yeah, um, for my two aways, uh, well, I started my first one in August, so I had time to secure housing and and get ready for that. But then I did a general ICU rotation, a medical ICU rotation, uh, which in Boston, and I also had to use Epic for the first time. 
So I hadn't written that many notes before. And then I was writing notes daily, like three oh, to four. Yeah, you both didn't get Nemours. We got Epic and Nemours, uh, and that was like no. super good training for yeah. being ready for a ways. Yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, for people listening, so the Nemours pediatric rotation, that was established like what, last year? Like halfway through last year. Yeah. So you guys were... So when we started our pediatrics rotation, that wasn't set up yet. So I ended up doing mine uh, here locally. So when I got to Boston, Epic was brand new. Um, and at first I thought it was a little complicated, but then it's it's very useful. And then I just had to get used to writing, you know, my three, four notes a day for, for my patients there. Yeah. Epic is overwhelming compared to Meditech. But once you get the hang of it, it's just, it's so much better. It's just such a better system, I feel like. Yeah. And I'm not sure about your rotations, but one unique thing about the dermatology rotations that I've noticed is a lot of them, um, at least for me, I believe at least four out of the five require an end of the rotation presentation. So you really want to make sure that you're working on improving your public speaking skills and your ability to put together, you know, patient case presentations, succinct presentations on different topics during your third year so that it's not as stressful for you to do this in sort of a new foreign environment where you don't really know the residents, you don't really know the attendings. Um, I'm not sure, did either of you have to do presentations at the end of your rotations? Yeah, I did do a presentation for all of them. Um, something good though is that there's, since I'm, I was just doing ortho, there's a lot of overlap, so I was able to use like the same presentation a couple times. Ah, uh, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, I didn't really have to do end of rotation or mid through rotation presentations. It was mostly just, you know, my daily patient presentations, discussing topics with the residents, and I mean, and with the attendings, you know, sometimes rounding on a single patient will go up to like an hour, hour and a half, which, you know, was, that's a lot of time for, for one patient, especially in a hospital. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I didn't really have any assignments to submit at the end of the rotations. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like our curriculum, like our PBL curriculum really prepares us well for that. Um, because also they, they, a lot of my rotations require a, a maximum time. And I remember I was in, um, one of my rotations, I was the only one that like respected the 10 minute time limit. Everybody went to like 15 to 20 minutes. And then eventually the program director was like, how are we doing on time guys? Like we're supposed to yeah. be like, stopping you. Yeah. That's what they said, but they didn't end up doing it. But yeah, cause PBL gives you at least two presentations. No, yeah, two presentations a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're always presenting weekly. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, they were really, like strong on reinforcing the times for our presentations and um, if I found it really helpful as well to be prepared with the PBL style where you are very conscientious of the amount of time you're taking to speak. I think um, it's really easy to continue to talk if you're passionate about a topic or really want to sound informed and educated but if they do give a maximum time definitely respect that and yeah, that's my advice for now. Yeah. yeah, he actually wrote that in my email, like saying like, oh, he respected the time, like he had a really good timed presentation that he sounded knowledgeable on. I think for presentations, the best possible thing that not a lot of people do is just to practice it. Mm-hmm. Like a couple nights before, just read it over once a day out loud to yourself. And I think a lot of people kind of overlook that. And then you can kind of tell when people are presenting a this is their first time reading it through and it's in front of yeah. a residency program that they're competing for. Right. Yeah, people can definitely tell. Um, you know, one of the things is like as fourth year students and we're going to do this away rotations is that 
you know, you're a little tired or maybe, you know, very tired from year three and then having step two right after. And then now you have to like go as hard as you can to perform well these away rotations to make a good impression, perhaps get a letter of recommendation. And if, you know, if you're like in dermatology or orthopedic surgery, you know, you want an interview from those places, right? Um, so, you know, one thing I found very useful, especially like two months before I started my first away rotation, I realized I needed to get better at presenting patients. So I'm glad I had my IM Sabai right before my general ICU rotation because I was really honing on how to present a patient well. And so mm -hmm. I found that to be super helpful when I got to Boston, you know, while I'm figuring out the new hospital, the transport, all that stuff, I didn't have to worry about like, how am I presenting the patient? You know, it was just something that was already like very ingrained in me. One thing I would recommend before dermatology rotations, if you don't have a solid dermatology background, which typically in medical school, they don't focus a lot on dermatology. It's typically like a lecture or two, and then for step studying, it's a few pages and first aid. Um, there's something called the AAD dermatology curriculum. And actually one of my rotations actually required completion of that. Um, we had to turn in the completion certificate. So it is a good thing to do even if it's not required by the rotation. It kind of gives you a really good overview um, of all the different, very common dermatologic things you'll see. Um, is there anything like that for ortho? Um, certain things are and they don't really do go too much into it. You go into Ortho Bullets. That's a website. It's like Amboss almost. Um, I bought the membership. I probably shouldn't have bought the membership yet because I'm just not quite at that level where I need to be doing practice questions every day. Um, you can get the free version of it where it gives you all the articles you need and you just search up like, oh, a distal femur fracture. I'm going to look that up, look at the classification of it, look how to treat it, all that stuff. So orthobullets is huge. I think almost everybody uses it from away rotators to definitely the residents. And then there's um, AO surgical reference, which is really helpful because um, it goes with like it uses picture diagrams on like orthobullets, which just like explains it through words. And they walk you through like very specific surgical procedures and approaches. So AO surgical reference is definitely a must also. Um, some programs supplied you a book that they told you to read, but I didn't really like look at the books too much. Um, I just, worth the bullets is more than enough for an away rotator. Yeah, and I think in addition to all that, um, just like in third year, showing interest, if you see something that you haven't seen before or a patient that you want to learn more about, I think it just, it goes a long way just to show that you're engaged in clinic or the patients that you're seeing or surgeries to look things up outside of um, outside of the rotation and then talk about it later with the residents or with the attendings just to show that you are engaged. As you mentioned before, it is hard because by the fourth year you're pretty tired and looking forward to just going home at the end of the day and relaxing or working on ERAS, but I do think it goes the extra mile to show that you are caring and still engaged in taking care of your patients and in the field that you're saying that you're interested in pursuing yeah. by reading outside. Yeah. There's something interesting because since you guys are both going into a special, you know, a very select specialty, you can do all your aways on that. Um, but if you're applying medicine, I guess you could do all your aways in one, uh, certain, you know, one specialty only. But like, for example, I had medical ICU, but then I had cardiac ICU with general cardiology right after. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think for 
medicine applicants, uh, best thing is probably just to do your always right after step two because that's when you have like the most general medicine knowledge in you right after taking the exam. Yeah, I've lost all of my step two knowledge. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gone. It's it's in there somewhere. Yeah, you, I for, especially for ortho rotations, like just take step two before you even go into them because you you will not step two does not prepare you for ortho, and ortho does not prepare you for step two. So. If you go into ortho, if you do two or three rotations, everything you learned in your third year, 60% of it's going to be gone. Oh, man. And then you have step three coming, I mean, in residency, but you'll have to three. you'll have to go back to. <laughs> yeah, if I may recommend, I know that um, you're doing another podcast sort of on step one, step two. But personally, I would strongly recommend doing step two before you do any away rotations. Yeah. I, Get it out yeah, of the way. I totally agree um, with that. Uh, some some students in our class took step two like July. Yeah, a little August. later, and like they all deeply regretted it. It seemed like yeah. they were like they wished they were in our boats and got it out of the way earlier. Yeah, because if you think about it, you can really give it your best effort. Even take a dedicated study period if that's something you want to do for step two, and then you can give your rotations all of your effort. Mm-hmm. You don't have to split effort between your rotations and studying for a huge exam. And then if you get in your away rotations before ERAS, then you can give a lot of your energy to ERAS. However, that's not an option for um, people who are doing more sort of specialty fields like orthopedics or dermatology. You do end up doing away rotations while you're completing the application process. But oh, And that's even more uh, relevant to third-year students because um, we're the last class to have a, and this is another topic, but we're the last class to have a, a step one with a numerical score. So, Some people I, I was rotating with didn't have a numerical score. As fourth-year students? As fourth-year yeah. students, yeah. Oh, really? Okay, so that's just, yeah, that just took it after the, yeah. okay. But for the third-year students, yeah, if they if they take that month off before away rotations and do real well in step two, then just focus on rotations after that. Mm-hmm. Um, see, one, one question here for you both. Uh, how do you find, you know, going from hospital to hospital, how do you find learning a new hospital and learning new people every month because you know in a month it's like you get used to the hospital you know the people somewhat well and then boom you gotta go somewhere else i can take this one so to kind of address the first question about how to find going from hospital to hospital every rotation is different but i think it's really an exercise in developing adaptability which is a really important trait to have when you're a physician because you're going to be working on new teams you need to be ready to kind of face what you're given. Um, And so for that reason, it is challenging to kind of go away from home where you're used to using Meditech within the same hospital system. But honestly, the EMRs and the teams that at least I worked with were very, very welcoming. Um, I found it very easy to acclimate after the first couple of days where you're still figuring out what buttons to press or how to start a note. Um, I didn't really have any challenges with adapting to different hospitals. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, I, I didn't really have a lot of challenge either because I was like, you know, my first rotation, I just need to go to the seventh floor. <laughs> so yeah, I would just yeah. go straight to the seventh floor, ignore the rest of the hospital. Um, regarding knowing people, my my two rotations were a little, I mean, this happens I don't know how it is in, in orthopedic surgery and dermatology, but I had like a different attending every week. So it was a little hard because I wanted a letter of recommendation, but I only had a week to try my hardest and impress the attending. 
and ask them for a letter of recommendation before another attendant came in. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys have like most of your rotation with one attending and then you can try and get letters their way? Or did they also rotate frequently? How, how did it work for you? Yeah, every rotation was pretty different in that aspect where like uh, most of your ortho rotations are going to be on trauma for a bit, but like at Kentucky, there's three, there was three full-time trauma attending. So you, you have to split up those two weeks between those three and uh, you wouldn't like really round with them because the residents did all the rounding. Um, and then like they had a week of just like a random week where every single day you're on something new, you'd be on spine, you'd be on hand, you'd be on foot. So again, you couldn't really connect with that. Um, but something that was big was in Yukon was they had like one trauma attending. So when I was on trauma for that, I spent a ton of time with him and we'd be operating till like nine at night, almost every single night. Right. Um, so I asked him and I got that. Oh, that's my question, Jack. Of all your away rotations and how many of the places do you ask for a letter of recommendation? Well, it, it depends on the timeline too because era submission was late September. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I mean, I asked, you should ask at all of them. Um, that's what I would say. I mean, it, it's way better to have too many than too little, especially when I encountered, there was a few people that I encountered along the way that would be like a week out from ERAS, and they're like, hey, my letter writers, I had four, and they've all ghosted me. That is that's and that is like scary. I, my heart would drop. <laughs> I got really lucky with the, with the people that I happened to ask, finished it within a week, and that is definitely out of the norm. So just take that in mind, and I would say ask as many as you can that you've established a connection with, and then also just like when you're asking for it, just say, hey, can you write me a strong letter? Yeah, that's a good advice. Um, Dr. Rashford helped me with this one. I always say, you know, can you write me a strong letter for, for residency? Yeah, emphasize uh, the strong. Yeah. They'll be like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I can write you some generic letter, and, yeah. you know, it's, it'll be nice, but it's not going to be. Yeah. How about you, Skylar? How did your... How do you handle your ways with the attending times and asking for for letters of recommendation in dermatology? Most of my dermatology rotations, because they were a mix of in like clinic outpatient as well as inpatient consult services, and for some of them there were more than one location as well. So that made it challenging at times, um, depending on the size of the faculty and the size of the program, to work with an attending sufficiently you know, to feel comfortable, I would say, asking for a letter mm-hmm. of recommendation. Some attendings you gain rapport with because you've worked with them a lot or you have a particularly busy day in clinic where you connect over talking about patients. Um, but I think that ultimately you have to be the judge of whether you feel like an attending has enough information about you to write you a strong letter. Um, it's not necessarily something I thought at first was you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable asking an attending I only worked with for a few days on clinic, for example, to write me a letter of recommendation. But if you feel like the um, connection that you built was strong enough, I don't think that that should dissuade you from asking for a letter of recommendation from them. Yeah, it's definitely better to over ask, you know, like attendings are busy. So like in my experience, I can go a couple times. Huh? Have, have you been ghosted? Uh, yeah, a few. <laughs> I mean, I, I ended up getting uh, five letters total. Um, and, you know, for ERS admission, you have to look into the specifics of programs. Some programs require three. Some programs can let you submit four. Some only one, two. So, yeah, I had five, and then including my chair letter. 
but I think I asked around eight or nine people throughout my third and fourth year, or maybe, yeah, eight or nine. Mm -hmm. So then I had, you know, the other four come in apart from the chair letter that our, that our school provides. Um, and uh, I was a little relieved because I got them. I think they all came in early September. So I already had like 20 something days where I didn't really have to worry about fulfilling that requirement. That's great. <laughs> yeah, but one, you know, one thing I did is, you know, I was emailing frequently because, you know, they're, they're busy, right? So, and depending on, on their hours, they, they'll just forget. So you just have to kindly remind them and then eventually they'll come and write you the letters. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what do you think an appropriate level of follow-up is? Because, like, I'd say if you're hitting September, I would follow up at least once a week. Yeah, it depends on when. Yeah. If you're in May, I had that issue. I was, I was reaching out about once a month. And then once I was in August, I was following up every like two weeks and September hit and I did, I did do that. I follow, up every, like, three follow days, every, like, every week. Really right. Random. Yeah. So, you know, I, one of my attendings, I saw him in the hospital again and he, he was very kind and was like, Hey, send me another email regarding the letter of recommendation. So I was, that was very relieved. Right. So I just had to follow up like two more times and then the letter came in. Definitely. Yeah. All of my letter writers were really on top of writing the letters. They even... They even told me when I could expect to have it, you know, submitted to ERAS and if I hadn't heard from them by then to send them a quick email. But I think I think that if they've agreed to write you a strong letter of recommendation, that following up, you shouldn't be worried about following up with them. They everybody understands everyone's been through the process. Um, and like you say, they're very busy. Um, so I wouldn't be hesitant about reaching. They out. also, yeah, they know that you're yeah. there as a way <laughs> rotator, and it's their like it's almost their duty to write letters if for applicants they feel are strong. So, yeah, yeah. The only the only challenge I see to that is when attendings quickly rotate weekly. Um, what I what I did was you know like at first I got a few days. I got used to my medical ICU rotation, learning Epic, learning the hospital. And then I was just talking to the residents, like, how long is this standing here? So then I found out it was every week. But um, I think it was my third attending that month. And then I just decided, like, I am asking this attending for a letter, you know? So that week, it was, I was just went extra hard compared to already yeah. going hard. <laughs> so, and then I just asked, like, the, I think it was the, the day before their last day. And, you know, they, they agreed, which was great. I got really lucky, but like it was my last day with an attending, and I knew that I was building a, a strong connection with her. Um, so I actually requested, because someone made the schedule, I requested to be with that attending for my last day. And I was like running out of time in the clinic because I had to be somewhere else, um, like a mandatory activity. And so I wasn't going to be able to ask her, and then she offered me, she gave me the offer to write me a letter. Yeah, that's... So I was like, no, this is like the best thing ever. That, And then you know if someone's offering like, hey, like, do you want a letter from me? Like, you know it's going to be strong. Otherwise, it'd be kind of a, it'd be a terrible thing to do to offer to write someone a letter and then just like destroy their yeah. career. Yeah. <laughs> and attending writing a letter is not a common occurrence. Yeah. Um, I've done a combination of both. They always recommend that if you have the opportunity to ask someone directly face-to-face, -face, for example, during a meeting, that's obviously the ideal way to do it. Um, if someone offers, that's also fantastic. Um, but I also, you know, if you don't get the chance, I wouldn't shy away from sending an email to thank for the rotation. And if you felt like you built enough, a strong enough connection with them, you can also ask that way. Um, I do think that in person is the best way to do it if you do have time. But again, 
like Jack said, sometimes schedules can be unpredictable. Sometimes clinics can get changed around and you don't have the opportunity. And I wouldn't let that mm. convince you to not ask. Yeah. It's better to ask and then, you know. <laughs> give, yeah, give yourself a buffer day too. Because yeah. like, again, like I was about to run out of time with her. There was another attending that I ended up asking via email. But it was my last day with him. And he got COVID in the middle of the case, <laughs> in the middle of the surgery. He takes a seat. He's like, I'm not feeling good. Cancel the rest of my surgeries for today and tomorrow. You're like, where's my letter? <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. So the way I opened it up with him was I emailed him because I knew it like him. And he would like leave me in the room to close on my own as a medical student. Like I would go solo with him. So I knew we had a great connection. So I emailed him saying like, hey, it was a great time to work with you this past two weeks. Um, I really love some feedback from you. And he emails your feedback like, oh, I think you did great. I'd like I already do this. You get honors, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, okay, I'm really happy to hear that. Now give me a letter. <laughs> a little nicer than that. A little nicer, yeah. A little nicer. But yeah, so ask for feedback. That's huge. I don't know what it is, but but it looks really, really good if you ask the people you're working with for feedback. Like They love seeing that. Yeah. You know, in my away rotations, um, I think halfway through and at the end, I actually had residents and attending come up to me and be like, hey, do you have five minutes to talk about feedback? Yeah. So I hadn't really thought about it. So they just naturally come up to me and then we just spend like five, ten minutes in a private room talking about like how I'm doing, where I can do better, etc. There was something that like Kentucky implemented that was actually really, really cool. A senior resident like did research on it and... and uh they ended up implementing it where every single time you work with someone, like in a surgery, every single person in the room has to say something good, something bad, and something good about, or no, something good, something they need work on, and I forgot the other thing, but it's like it's the sandwich method. And they had to do that every single surgery, and it was actually kind of cool yeah. to see that implemented. You remember our PBL feedbacks? Oh, like, it was always like, <laughs> yeah, you did a really great job. Yeah. No, you have to... You have to be ready to get some actual yeah. harsh feedback from time to time. How about you, Skylar? Um, did you have to, did people come up to you for feedback or do you usually, how do you, how do they go about that, your rotations? On a couple of my rotations, I did have direct meetings um, to kind of give feedback of my experience. What's interesting is the feedback is often both ways. So you should also be thinking about how you feel about the program because often they will ask you like, how has your rotation been going? Um, and so you definitely want to be ready to be able to discuss the rotation with them as well, not just receive feedback, but also give feedback if applicable. Um, and then it, I always tried when I worked with a new team, or especially with the residents, because they're a little bit more approachable in terms mm -hmm. of they are hanging around working on notes after clinic, right, they're right. not jumping to the next clinic or you know on such a tight schedule as the attendings. I would consistently ask them for feedback you know, I felt like a day didn't go as smoothly. I would say, well, is there anything I could have done to help or perhaps next time do better at this? Or, um, and every time I wrote a note, I would also ask for feedback on the note. Um, I would also go back because in Epic, as a student, you write a note, the resident reviews the note and like approves it and then they send it to the attending is my understanding. I would always go back and look at the notes that I wrote see what changes were made and kind of give myself feedback too, you know, because I think it's an active process on your part to 
not just for other people to give you feedback, but also for yourself. For yourself, yeah, that makes sense. Um, for your rotations, Kyler, did you? How was your learning curve in dermatology from your first to your second, or did it vary quite a bit depending on you know what service within dermatology we're on in the rotations? It definitely depends. I was fortunate. I have had experience, practical experience in dermatology prior to medical school. So a lot of the the common things that you see in dermatology outpatient clinics, I was pretty familiar with in terms of being able to um, identify them, uh, describing them. In dermatology, descriptions are huge uh, because it's very visual. So that's one thing you do need to work on prior to starting a dermatology rotation is just being able to use the terminology that dermatologists use. Um, However, when it comes to more specialty things, for example, there was um, a sort of a lymphoma clinic or mixed connective tissue diseases or inpatient dermatology. Mm -hmm. That's definitely an area where I felt like I had a lot of um, gaps in knowledge just because that's not something you cover a whole lot of in medical school. And I also hadn't had prior experience in that. So I definitely needed to read more. Yeah. Do you guys study within your rotations? Because I initially wanted... And I was in the ICU, which was quite busy. So I wanted to also study on the outside, but I found it very hard to do if you're doing, you know, long hours. So I just ended up mostly learning on the job, so to speak. So do you guys study on your on the outside of, of your rotation time? I did, but definitely not as much as I should. Um, and that's where I, like, that's why I brought up earlier that I think it's good to have, like, go into rotations and you already had, like, a dedicated study time in terms of, like, you, you picked an easier rotation like radiology because it's a lot of I don't know if it's considered like passive or active learning but I, I, I consider it more passive learning in ortho where it's like you're learning on the job and it's a little slower in terms of learning the material you learn like you learn procedural skills a lot quicker but like if I were on the outside studying for like three four or five hours a day I would have had a lot more baseline knowledge going in and then I think the more knowledge you have going in, the quicker you're going to learn also because you have all these different memory hooks now that you're just going to pick up information like at an exponential rate. So it's definitely tough to study in the rotation itself though. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. That kind of goes back to what I said before about how you have to stay engaged and hold yourself accountable, you know, for if you don't know something in clinic, people aren't going to follow up and see whether you read on something. But if you go home and read on it, you know, for even 20, 30 minutes, just look it up, uh, for example, in the ortho bullets or in a textbook or um, AMBOSS or whatever resource you end up using. Um, I mean, I think that that's the best way to stay engaged in the rotation. Um, yeah, or even studying within the rotation, you know, like I would try to, um, if there wasn't anything to do, I would just pull something up to study so I, so I'm not just sitting in a chair looking around. So yeah, okay. That's another thing. Is like, what do you think? Um, this is sometimes I would have a struggle. Is if I couldn't find something to do, like sometimes you're just sitting there and there's actually nothing that you could possibly contribute. Like, how do you guys kind of handle where <laughs> yeah. you're still like you still have to like look like you're doing something? Ah uh, man, I so when I was in Boston. Uh, I was reading mostly the Marino's ICU book on my downtime or looking up, you know, reading again over the notes. But when I was in Texas in the cardiology, I would I was reading clinical trials. Mm -hmm. um, 
otherwise, I mean, if it's been like an awfully long time, there's nothing to do. Uh, the residents most likely know it is and they'll tell me to go home. And for me, clinic is, is very different. There's a very little downtime because um, in a lot of the clinics, there's a huge volume of patients. So you're seeing like two patients every 15 minutes from eight or nine in the morning to 5 p.m. But in terms of downtime, I mean, I the two resources that have been recommended to me that are very quick to read over um, DermNet and Z, and then Visual Diagnosis, which there's also an app for it. I would just go on that, look up some of the things I had seen so far in the day, look up differentials for them, just to not open a textbook, because you also want to be ready in case another patient comes in or someone needs help with something. But it does show that you're still kind of keeping up to date on the patients and learning, even if you only have a minute here or there. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Miguel. I'm a fourth year medical student here at NSU. I know, this is the second half. <laughs> well, welcome to the second half of talking about away rotations with Jack Baer, an applicant for orthopedic surgery, and Skylar Coetzee, an applicant for dermatology. And I applied for internal medicine. Um, so, uh, let's get started. How did you guys schedule your away rotations based on when you're supposed to get interviews and fulfill you know filling out the heiress application and stuff i was doing eras during my away rotations so that was tough um and i'd like use my sundays the days i would have off to do eras and i think it's really important to start eras early um especially if you're doing away rotations during that period, because like you need as many eyes on that form as possible. Like I would send it out to everybody. I'd send my personal statement out to everyone. I probably made like six or seven drafts of my personal statement and I would change like the entire thing. So it's definitely time consuming and it's nerve wracking. But overall, I think ERAS is, is easier than med school applications. Yeah, I remember you did your personal statement early on. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my, I haven't started. <laughs> and I would like change the personal statement completely because 
don't know, my strategy for the personal statement, like I, I would tell a patient story that I had and that ended up taking up the whole page. And I know for ortho, they really wanted no more than one page. Yeah. And when are ortho, when is the ortho interview period usually and with your weight rotations? So ortho's, ortho is later than all the other specialties. We have a universal interview offer day. This year is November 14th where all of the programs, with the exception of very few, are going to send their interview invites out on the same day at like 12 o'clock. All at once, okay. All at once. So you have like a 24-hour period to accept or deny. Um, and then our peak season is like mid to late December and January and February. So you, you're, so you've done five ways now, and your, your sixth one is going to overlap with the release data for your interviews? So, no, release date, I'm in like a, I'm in anesthesia right now. So okay. I'm probably gonna see if I can like take off just to go through that and make my schedule. Um, but yeah, I mean, I saw like you, I know one of my away rotations, their interviews are gonna be during that away, so I'm gonna have to find a way to. Yeah. Well, luckily we're in, we're in the Zoom era now, so you can you can go to any interview now. You Zoom don't have era's to. huge, but I don't know how much longer they're gonna do the Zoom era. Yeah, I don't know either. I guess we'll, we'll see. How about you, Skylar? How do you schedule your ways with your ERAS applications and when your interviews are for dermatology? Um, similar to VSLO, I also recommend starting ERAS as soon as you possibly can just to familiarize yourself with the platform because honestly, up until the day I submitted at the end of September, I was still making really minor changes to different things. So I think that the sooner you start, the better position you end up being in. I was lucky enough that during sort of the prime ERAS month of September, when everyone's sort of um, finalizing their personal statements, finalizing all of their essays and experiences, as well as the supplemental, I was not on an away rotation, but I was on my internal medicine uh, sub-I. So that was pretty intense for its own reasons. But I found that starting earlier meant that I didn't have as much of bulk work to do. And I just used my downtime whenever I had time in the hospital to sort of review, make minor changes, minor edits to my application. Okay. I think, yeah, like the, the bulk work is like almost the easy part of the application. Right. I feel like it's the minor changes that are going to drive you absolutely insane. Yeah. Like those yeah. last few days. Like a letter here, a letter there. Letter here, yeah. Different like, sentence. Wow, yeah. I could have reworded that. And that, you'll do that. At some point, I actually submitted like two or three days early because I got to the point where like, yeah. if I keep looking at this for another twelve hours, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go crazy. So yeah. I submitted it a few days early because I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. Okay. Um, and Skylar, how did you go about scheduling your aways with? When when's the interview period usually for dermatology? Well, I've already had interviews start because for dermatology you have to apply to both preliminary or transitional year programs that's true as well as your advanced in dermatology and the preliminary and transitional year program interviews typically take place around the same time as other specialties um, october november december and then dermatology also has a coordinated release dates um, they have three different ones not only one um, and I'm actually going to be on one of my aways when some of those dates are, so. The Sumera will be helpful. <laughs> Definitely. And also, one thing I would recommend if you are going to be on an away during interview season, 
they everybody understands and is aware but one thing i would recommend is as soon as you know that you have an interview scheduled for a morning or an afternoon or even the whole day let the program know that way they can coordinate your schedule appropriately um, I, most of the programs have been very um, i haven't had an interview on in a way yet but from what i've heard they're very receptive but as with all things you just need to give them notice so that so they, so they can, don't leave them without someone working in the clinic. So they can change the schedule. Exactly. That, that makes sense. Um, for medicine, it was a bit different because, to my knowledge, you can, at least in my experience, uh, interviews were coming in that same October. Um, or, you know, like same day, actually, or, or the day after ERA submitted, they were already coming in. So getting your aways in, your, your two or three aways in before your ERA application is submitted is definitely helpful. And then, you know, you can only focus on the, the interview season and being able to schedule those around. Okay. Um, let's talk about, let's start with Jack. Jack, um, after having done five away rotations in orthopedic surgery, um, how do you feel after all those aways regarding your decision to pursue ortho? Uh, definitely... I've definitely kept, kept the same position. I feel like I'm like almost miserable in any other specialty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, I don't know. I feel I feel more energized in like 14 hours of ortho work than I do in like two hours of anesthesia. Um, it's just I'm a lot more interested in the procedures, the just the pathologies themselves, and I just think it's. I think it's the best specialty, and everybody should go for it. Um, better than Durham and I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where did we left Lebo? Um, so you just told us after your five away rotations that I love you're, yeah, you're definitely more into orthopedic surgery. Are you still surgery. into cardiology? I am. Um, the other specialty that I found interesting uh, on my away rotations was pulmonary and critical care. Um, so that's what, that was my first away in the medical ICU. So that was that was interesting, you know. Um, a lot of sick people, uh, and you know, it's it's like intense interventions, right? Some people are. I mean, some people's in the ICU. Just you generally expect people to pass away, but you know, it's definitely great to see those that make it to the ICU and then you know can leave the ICU. So that was that was a cool rotation, uh, because I think when you're doing aways and you're exploring the specialty you want you sort of have to see it from the attending and residence point of view and not just from the student point of view, right? Because that's gonna be your future role. So you just gotta look through the lens sort of. But my second away was uh, cardiac ICU with general cardiology. And that was, I thought that was an amazing rotation. I really liked it. It was like, you know, cardiology interventions I haven't seen before, like um, aortic balloon pumps, people were on nitroprusside trips. Uh, so it generally was very interesting. So. I'm definitely, I think I'm definitely pursuing fellowship and likely cardiology based on my two ways. Did I haven't that, done did five. Did you have any rotations <laughs> where you're like, wow, I feel like I just, I didn't give it enough. I didn't shine as much as I wanted to. Um, since I only had two, I feel like I had days I felt that way. Not necessarily the rotation itself. There were definitely some days because, you know, as a student, you think, I'm going to go there and I'm going to try my hardest for a month straight or for five months straight. And, you know, I can just keep at that pace, right? But that's hard to do. So there were definitely some days that I was like, uh, 
man, I'm kind of tired. I kind of want to go home. So you just sort of have to get into this discipline mode, like, you know, perform to like your least acceptable level to still impress and to do your duties. And then afterwards you can maybe take an easier night and just rest rather than stay up doing something for ARS or, you know, just take night off. But I definitely had those days, yeah, where I think I was like, okay, I could have done that better. I could have presented better. I should have read on this more. I should have known that question the attending asked because that was not that hard of a question. So, And I think sleep is super important when you're doing a ways because if you're sleepy and tired and you're yawning around, they can tell. Yeah. And if you're, if you're just generally not, you know, like awake and paying attention, it, it won't look good on you because you're, you're there for a short time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, my, my first away rotation, I like I walked out of it pretty disappointed, um, like in my performance. I just think um, it was just that ortho was still so new to me that unfortunately I just didn't think I performed up to my up to my potential, and I'm kind of glad that I had that experience because like it lit like a fire under me that the next the next four I feel like I smoked them like did really well, um, and it just took like. There's a lot of humbling that goes on in away rotations where it's just like the goal is to be a little better than the day before. Um, and even so, like on the rotations I felt I did really well on, there were still days that I walked out and I was like, wow, like that's not how I should be doing things. So you'll have good days and bad days, and that's just how it goes. How about you, Sky? I would agree. Obviously, everyone's human, and you do have some days that are better than others, and then days where you feel like, wow, you know, I really didn't kind of perform to how I would have liked to perform. Like Miguel said, you know, you don't know the answer to a question, or you feel like your presentation was a little bit off. But I think that as long as you know that you are giving it your absolute best, um, and you're genuinely putting your best foot forward, that you can only continue to improve on, on yourself. Yeah. And that, yeah, that feeling is going to stay yeah. for all of medicine, like all of your, the entire journey. Like I saw second, third, fourth year residents being like, mm-hmm. I was terrible in the OR today. Like, I don't know what came over me. Yeah. And it's just like how it goes. I think self-awareness is important because you're always checking in with yourself to see what you could be doing better and giving yourself feedback to. It's hard to maintain that, you know, that's stamina through away rotations. My, my first away um, there was call every four days and it was like 28 hour calls. <laughs> so it was like 2 a.m. It was like, okay, it's time to take a nap before yeah. the next admission comes in. Yeah, that's but. another thing. It's like, when, when do you get to sleep? And I went into my first couple of rotations like, if the resident's awake, I'm awake, even if there's absolutely nothing to do. And like at 2, 3 in the morning, not many people are breaking their bones. So it's like, do I stay awake with this guy even though he's also not doing anything? Or do I just like take a little nap on the couch? Yeah, if you, if you need, I mean, if you're that tired and you need the nap, I would say take a nap. You'll be more productive mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah. Which I got a little more confident doing so later in rotation. I think a lot of residents are more understanding than you think about like the limitations of, of just being a person. It's a good topic, like how to maintain stamina across many ways. Because by the time you start your ways, you just finished third year, you had to study for step, and you probably had some other rotation, or you went straight to your ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like like you did, Jack. So after doing like three, four, or just two, I mean, I found it a little, not a little, I found it uh, kind of hard 
for my second away to stay at the same level of performance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I like, I kind of just embrace the burnout. Um, you know, it was really tiring. Everybody says it's like super tiring, but then I look at the residents and you realize that just being a resident, you have so much more responsibility than being a fourth year med student. Like, so it's, that's why I was fine with doing so many aways. Like, and all the residents are like, oh, it seems so tiring. And I'm like, at the end of the day, residency is tiring. And, you know, you're going to have to struggle a little bit. So I'm just getting used to it now. Yeah, you have to get through it. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Sky? How do you, how do you find your stamina in dealing with that a few aways in? For me, it's a little bit different because my rotations, I do think in general, were better hours. You know, so it is a little bit easier to fit in sleep, you know, um, wellness, that kind of thing, uh, rather than being in the hospital, you know, on call for 28 hours in a row, or as Jack said, I think 48 hours straight on call. Um, But constantly performing the best that you can obviously does sort of um, take a lot of energy, especially when you're balancing things like ERAS and everything else that goes into the application process. But again, I love dermatology and I was really motivated by my passion just to show that I love it and know what I'm doing and want to learn and I'm eager to be a part of the field. I let that motivate me even during difficult days. Mm. Just gotta keep pushing. Yeah. <laughs> Just gotta keep pushing. Yeah, yeah, you have Sorry. to. I mean, that submitting era seemed like one of those milestones that afterwards you can slow down a little bit. But then it was like, it's one of those things where it's like an adrenaline dump. You're like, and that's how I feel right now. Like after all these rotations, and now I'm in a way easier rotation. I'm like just so much more tired, just trying to recover. Um, and that's kind of similar how ERS was. Like I finished ERS, and then I was like, my whole plan was like, as soon as I finish ERS, all these weekends that I've been working on this are going to turn into dedicated study hours. And then they just like did. <laughs> you, you've, been, you've been resting on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, you can still rest. There's nothing wrong with resting, but just you know try to push through through some things. But kind of on the topic of rest and wellness and everything, on your away rotations, did you guys have the opportunity to like explore new places or do different things? No. In- <laughs> no. You, you, were, you were always in the hospital. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, every single rotation I was at, I pretty much never stepped foot outside. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. In my first one, I did quite a bit, but part of that is because I was roommate with... Uh, you know, Robert Trenchell, another uh, M4 student here. And he was in Boston, so I could I could get around with public transport, right? So we could we could go check out the city and, you know, see places. But in Dallas, I was I was, you know, using Uber to go to the hospital yeah. every day. And I didn't have a car. So it was mostly just go to the hospital, get back to my hotel room, work in ARAS, repeat. Wow. But you know that's tolerable if you're doing. I mean, I don't know if you're doing for five ways. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I can get the vibe of the city just by driving past some things, but I didn't really get to explore. Like Ohio State was nuts. Like the day I got there, like nine o'clock, it was a game day. I got there nine p.m. and it's just everybody's partying in the street around the apartment I was staying at, and I was like, this seems like a pretty cool place to live. Like, and then you had a lot of traumas coming in. And a lot from of traumas party. from like those scooters. <laughs> A lot of people breaking their ankles. Yeah. Man. Yeah. How'd you guys interact with um, the other rotators that you were with? In my first away in Boston, there was 
So there were there were two teams in the ICU, uh, a blue and a red team, and there was only one student per team. So we didn't interact, and the, and the teams of course had different patients each. So the only way we interacted was like during a teaching conference or just saying hello in the hallways. But we didn't really have like overlapping patients or we didn't even present together really. It was mostly just like talking with them, how's the experience going? And then in Dallas, I was the only student because my away was a little specific. It was like on on heart failure and on transplant, but in like cardiac ICU setting with general cardiology as well. So... I think one of the attendings there told me they usually, you know, for that specific rotation, it's only a handful of students come every year. So I was the only student there, mm-hmm. um, which, which I guess is, you know, it's it's good because if you're the only student and everybody else is like working at the resident level, they they push you a little extra to, to learn, you know, to to try and maybe perform at the intern level, and they have more time to teach you, right? Since you're the only student available, rather than, you know, there's four or five students and everybody's learning, etc. Yeah, I mean, all the students I've worked with have been really, really helpful, especially if they come from the home institution um, and explaining the EMR. We've learned a lot from each other. You know, I think you get really close on away rotations because everyone's working so hard. And the way to do the best work is as a team. And so you get really close to both the medical students, the attendings, and the residents as well. We have to like balance, so like how do you balance like being like friendly, but also treating it like we are competing for this spot? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I think just, you know, just, I think just trying to be good to others in general, you know, just be friendly and just let that medical side of you shine, right? Like if you, if you know answers and, you know, and you're asked a question, you know, don't, you know, just shine medically, right? Don't, don't, don't like trump other people's opportunities that are directed to them, right? Like if a student is asked a question, and I mean, if they don't know the answer after a while, and the, the attendees are looking at you like, yeah, you can say the answer, but you know, don't like just trump over everybody to to shine, but don't also hold back what you know, right? Mm-hmm. You see, so there's there's a kind of a fine balance there, you know, because you know, way rotations is like you're you're going to let's say this hospital is your number one, right? So okay, I'm here. And, you know, it's beneficial to get a letter recommendation from here. And, you know, likely I want to come here in the future, right? So so you have to balance performing well, uh, fitting in good with the teams there and the people there, and also making sure that your overall impression is good from the people present. Yeah. Because you have to, like, show that you want it, but you also have to make sure you're not coming off as a gunner. And it depends on the environment of the program. Some programs are more like, hey, we, you know, we're more relaxed here. Just do your work well and, you know, the rest is okay. And others may be more like, you know, go as hard as you can. So it just depends on on the environment as well. Did you all encounter any gunners? Honestly, no. And if I, you know, have anything to add is that if you're applying in the same specialty as someone else, I mean, you're in the same position as them. Everyone's a little bit unsure being in a new place. Um, and I think that the best way to kind of handle that situation is to work together. Uh, I don't think that trying to shine over somebody 
or kind of prove that you're better than somebody in some way or someone trying to do that to you is going to lead to the best impression possible. I think being able to work together on a new team and adapt to different personalities and work together towards the common goal, you know, is, is the point. Yeah. I only have one student colleague, so no, he, was, he was super friendly. I mean, we both discussed topics on teaching, mm-hmm. teaching conferences and stuff. So it, it was a great experience. But how yeah, about you? I, I, um, I was in a surgery with a student, and he was a really good student. Um, and we were really friendly with one another, and we ended up being in the same surgery together. So there was definitely like a little, mm-hmm. little competitive. Yeah. Yeah, but a it's, it's the, going on. So like when we were both sutured, we had a very, very big incision to suture and we were both doing it. Starting from either side and it was like who's gonna do this faster, yeah. gonna better and all that uh, so. <laughs> But I mean we could still like laugh it off after. I hope the right. suture went well. The suture went well. I'm, I'm fired suturing now. So, <laughs> uh, so there's a fine balance because I think you're depending on the rotation, I think you are especially for like a surgical field, you're going to encounter people that are a little aggressive and you almost have to be like a little aggressive back in a way that's not gunnery. So just balancing that. Like I had a reduction on my patient. I saw this patient, but it was like, I was there for a few hours working with this patient. It's like a 95 year old with a distal radius fracture and we're doing a reduction. And then a student who's on the night shift kind of comes in and he kind of starts you know, taken over the process. So it's like, hmm, how do I help? And how's he going to help? And what, what, what is this dynamic going to be? So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's complicated because everyone's watching you at all times. Like you're always on, you're always in the interview and you don't know what they're, the residents are thinking. You don't know what the attendings are thinking. So yeah, you, you just have to be on, you know, doing well and showing what you what you know in, in a good manner all the time mm-hmm. um in hindsight like after doing all these ways is there something you, you would do different like uh, apply to more or less programs choosing locations better you know after all this time now i don't know i think i think i've done everything right <clears throat> like even though i came out of my first rotation like a little disappointed i was very pleasantly surprised going into my next rotation just how much I learned from that first rotation and you can definitely tell the difference between someone on their first rotation on their second rotation and then by my fifth rotation I was rotating with people that were on their first yeah so you have a huge and you can tell that like wow I've really learned a lot more than I gave myself credit for yeah, yeah, no, totally makes sense after several rotations. Because in my in my fifth month rotation of rotations, the incoming interns were on their fourth month. So basically, mm. and especially because they were the COVID interns, they didn't have a way. So it's like I already kind of have more experience than some of the residents. For orthopedic surgery, do you know, on average, uh, students who match, how many ways they do? Like three. Like three, okay. Oh, so you're doing double that. Okay. Uh, how about you, Scott? Are you familiar with the number? I'm not. No, no. Okay. But to my understanding, especially if you have if you come from a program where um, you don't have a home dermatology um, institution, yeah, it is beneficial, of course, for connections, letters. It can only benefit you to do as many yeah. uh, a ways as you possibly can. And I feel the same way as Jack. Like, I'm 
very happy and I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to go on so many different away rotations and see so many different parts of the country, kind of get out of Florida a little bit. Some of my favorite memories over the last few months have been just exploring the places that I've been, learning about different cities and the way people, you know, in different places. Yeah. Well, does the question ever come up where like, they're like, how many ways have you done or doing? Yes, a lot. And it seems like five is a lot. It's considered a lot. Yeah, because I feel like everybody's minds are blown. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, in dermatology, I don't want to speak for every rotation, but it is a little bit easier to do more because the hours generally are not 40 hours on call or 28 hours on call. Um, typically, unless you're on consults and there's an interesting consult, you don't have to spend one weekend day. Typically, it's more sort of outpatient hours. Mm -hmm. um, and so for that reason, it is a little bit more feasible to do five. I don't know how I would do five if it was like in a surgical subspecialty or even in internal medicine, but I personally haven't had as much of the like burnout or exhaustion from doing so many rotations. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think regarding the number, um, I mean, matching, um, ortho surgery and dermatology is harder than matching internal medicine, but I think my understanding internal medicine, uh, I think like one or two, it, it should be okay. Um, I've definitely met quite a few residents who didn't do any ways and they're just fine. So yeah, I, th I think one or two for internal medicine is okay because you, you don't rely as much on being there physically to get an interview as you do, for example, for like orthopedic surgery. Mm -hmm. That is a cool thing about UConn is, so they, the program director herself, she was an awesome program director, but she's like, hey, like, we're probably gonna interview a lot of you, but if you aren't a good fit, I'm gonna call you personally, I'm gonna tell you why how I think you should improve and how we may not be the best fit for each other. So I thought that was really cool for her to do. But yeah, Ortho really, really likes their away rotators. So like what expectations were set, or like when you walked into a new room with a brand new attending, like what did they think of you as a med student? You think like, what did they think of your responsibilities? Because for Ortho, I feel like a very common occurrence was walking into a room the first time with an attending, they like, thought you were very, like, for lack of a better word, stupid as, like, a med student. Like, they had yeah. very low expectations, and if you were able to meet those low expectations, you could climb a little bit. But, like, I almost had to start over from, like, all the progress that I would make with an attending, and I would, like, go back to, like, him thinking I might not even know how to retract. Yeah, because they, they think, like, you're, you're uh, you know, you're always beginning when you go to a new rotation. Um, with me, that was... Less, I mean, I in the medical ICU rotations, um, the residents helped me a lot, so they they set the expectations for for what I had to do because you know they have their teams, right? And each person in the team has a role, so I just took what the you know the student role is, which they made. The, I mean, the residents made the expectations pretty clear for me. You know, you're gonna write your notes, you're going to come up with assessments and plans. You, you can run it by all, all of us. I'll answer any questions you got. And then you present to the attending, whatever x-rays, images are there for the patient. It's, it's for you to read them to the team. A treatment plan is for you to read that to the team. And then, you know, they can adjust it as necessary. And then going to my second away, the same thing happens. And I, th I think it's okay that it happens because it gives you a little bit of buffer room to 
you know, get used to how they work there, if they have a different EMR, if they have a different way of doing rounds, if they have, you know, learning the new hospital. So it gives you a little bit of room, but picking up quickly after that and showing that you're familiar with this stuff is, is beneficial. Mm-hmm. How about you, Sky? In my experience, there wasn't really like a set expectation necessarily i think there's a lot of room to show what you could do and kind of set it for yourself for example if you felt comfortable seeing the patient on your own if they would let you go in first and then if your presentation and your exam and what you did you know in terms of clinical skills met their standard they let you continue to do that if you wanted to write a note on your own including an assessment and plan and then they read over it they gave you that opportunity and then gave you feedback based on that. Even procedures, like if you felt comfortable, you know, doing cryo or a shave biopsy or some other different sorts of things, they would let you do it, guide you through. So it was really kind of cool to be able to set your own expectations for yourself. Of course, there's a baseline expectation that you'll be engaged in clinic, that you'll read about your patients, that you'll meet sort of a satisfactory level of involvement. But I really enjoyed the opportunity to do as much as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for internal medicine applicants, like most important thing you can do as an M4 is coming up, like present your patient well and coming up with a sound assessment and plan as best as you can. Like if you have those things down, you are you're like sixty percent or seventy percent of the stuff you got to do in right because you know you check on your patients throughout the day, but if you do those two things well, people notice right, and that's that's a big chunk of your role. So. For your specialties, what's that most important thing you got to do? For like any, I think any surgical specialty, I think you have to just be ready to ask if you can do things. Um, and that took me a while to learn, but I was like getting, there'd be a lot of times I was frustrated where they, where, where how far I got set back and like, this person doesn't even think I can tra- retract, but like I can like drill this bone. So I would ask, I'd be like, hey, you mind if I like take the drill and do this? And sometimes I would just like grab things and kind of just go for it, which you gotta be careful of. Um, so yeah, I mean like they liked seeing that. They liked seeing when you ask if you can do things, they want to see you take an active role. And like an attending, when I like kind of said like, yeah, I'll saw through the femur, like let, give me the saw. And he's like, I like the aggression, quiet mouths, don't eat. <laughs> so like you gotta you gotta kind of just go for it yeah so it worked for you like asking yeah and do. like and it, that took me a long time to get the confidence to do that because like i don't know my third rotation like a lot of residents were like hey we'll let you suture next time even though i didn't ask they're like hey maybe next time like but you know, like it's getting late so we, we just want to do this and that happened like four more times and i was like hey finally i was like hey like i want to suture and then they saw that, like, oh, damn, like, this whole time, he wasn't going to really hold us back that much. Like, you can actually suture. Right, yeah, you can you can do more stuff, too. To so, that. like, a, their baseline is that this person has no idea how to suture, and this person doesn't know anything. Like they, I walked in before, and they're like, do you, have you ever scrubbed before? Do you know how to put on sterile gloves? I'm like, yes, this is my fifth month doing this in a row. Yeah. So, How about you, Skylar? What's that, what's that important thing? thing you know like bread and butter to do well in dermatology 
in your away rotations? One thing that was really emphasized is the being able to present the physical exam. Because for dermatology, the physical exam, like I mentioned before, is very visual. And so there's a whole set of terminology that you have to kind of develop in order to be able to describe the things that you're seeing on physical examination in a very precise way that the attending can almost see in their mind before they even walk into the room. Because based on your description, they're developing a differential and then they'll see the patient. So I would say that that's the biggest thing and it's also the biggest learning curve because there's all these words you're using, you know, to describe things that you've never really used before. You know, a rash is not just a rash. There's so many ways that you can describe a skin eruption yeah. that are like very specific and certain words definitely key into certain pathologies. I'm pretty rusty on all those words. <laughs> More <villiform. laughs> One thing I will say along with um, what Jack was talking about, definitely showing interest by asking what you can do, what you can help offer to do things. Uh, it also it's really important to read the culture, the personality, and also just sort of the regulations and policies of the place that you're rotating. Because a lot of places, you know, for reasons that are not anything to do with the rotator, students cannot be as involved and hands-on. I'm sure it's different for surgery, but if someone tells you, no, I don't need help with that, don't necessarily take it as a they don't want you to do it or they don't want to help you learn. Sometimes there's just limitations on what student learners can do on a rotation. But I don't think that you can go wrong with being eager and offering or volunteering to try new things or to learn new things. Yeah, and no, I agree with that. Yeah, being eager. Um, how do you guys handle it if you got some negative feedback during your way rotations? Mm, I think you just kind of, you just, you just take it. Just take the feedback yeah. and say, yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. I think a very common mistake is people trying to over-justify the negative feedback. Like if someone's like, hey, you did this wrong, and then you're like, oh, sorry, I just thought it was this way, or maybe I was going to do this. No, I should say, like, yes, I've, I'm taking your feedback into consideration. I'm going to change it for the next time. Like, yeah, and that's, a, that's a big adjustment for a lot of people. Um, everybody wants to, like, justify why they did something wrong instead of just saying, like, I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, so just just asking how to do it better, and then just mm -hmm. I think you know that's a, a cool thing. Like if someone gives you feedback in our rotation, and something that you can display immediately, like, hey, when you present, uh, you know, present this this way, mm -hmm. and when you actually do that, the next time you present, which is going to be soon, right? Mm -hmm. And they see that you incorporated the feedback, it makes you look a lot better than you you initially did. Yeah, because they're like, okay, the student is listening. He's you know he's he's listening to the feedback I'm giving him or her, and he is putting that into his into his daily duties. Yeah, sometimes you got to keep your ears open and, and your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Huh. But always ask for feedback, and, you know, the whole point of feedback is it's trying to correct something that you're not doing to the best of your potential. Yeah, yeah. So they're going to say something that you're not doing right, and you have to just be ready accepting a bit no, it's a good thing you know because it, it depends who gives you feedback but you know residents attendings are busy they're they're teaching their own house staff so they have their own duties right and then as a student you have less responsibilities so they're, mm -hmm. they're just taking that extra step to to watch out how you're doing see if you're if what they expect of you if you're meeting that level right and then giving you feedback according to that so taking it seriously is, is a must
And also the attendings have a responsibility to put their residents before their away med students. Yeah. Like that's their, they have to understand that like, like sometimes I would be like, wow, like I wanted to do this, but the second year residents doing it instead when like I could easily do it. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, they work there. The yeah. attending is obligated to train their staff, not, yeah. not someone that might not be a part of their staff next year. Hmm. Yeah. So it's just some concluding comments then to, to wrap our conversation today. Um, few ways to apply to a web rotation. Visa is the main one. Uh, and then you can email the program itself. Or Clinician Nexus. We didn't really talk about that too much. Oh, yeah, that is yeah. true. You can do a way rotation. But that's, those are, oh no, you can also do a way rotation. You can do a way rotation. With, with, with Clinician Nexus. That is true. For MSU M4s. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah, you can use that to go to other parts of the country. Yeah, that's a good one. So those three ways are the main ones. Um, and then scheduling your away rotations with your expected interview dates and then seeing how much or how many of the letters you have to get in time for area submission. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at each specific program's website and like make a spreadsheet for it. Yeah. Yes. Um, for your specialties, do you know usually how many, on average, how many letters are needed uh, for a uh, submission? I think the majority of ortho is three. Um, and then a good chunk requested, wanted three to four. There was a few that wanted two. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about for dermatology? I would say this is a place that I didn't even consider um, until sort of August, September. But once you start looking at the different websites for the different programs, there are different requirements. And some of them even have specific requirements for the type of letter. Yeah. For example, in dermatology, they will want three letters and they prefer that two of the three for example are from dermatology faculty Mm. so definitely recommend starting that as soon as you kind of get an idea of what programs you're looking to apply to doing your due diligence and making sure you look into that because not all programs are the same and you wouldn't want to screen yourself out just for not checking on something yeah not following directions exactly that's just one tool they use to make sure you're not whether you're interested in their program, if you even bother to check their site. And if it wasn't listed, sometimes I even emailed the program coordinator if I couldn't find that information listed anywhere else. Um, and they would tell me specific specifics. Some programs don't have specifics, but when they did or when they do, you should definitely pay attention to those. Yeah. If a program said, we require a minimum of three, I submitted four. If a program said, we require three, then Submit three. <laughs> three, no more, no yeah. less. Yeah, yeah, don't play it. Don't play around so, with that. Yeah. There's three to four. There's three plus. There's minimum three. There's maximum of three. There's some that say we require two. So I followed it exactly to T. Yeah. Other takeaway points for a ways. Uh, if you have time, set up your housing early. See what the transportation is in, in the city. Yeah, and definitely be creative and thinking about housing and transportation. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can find housing apart from the rotating room and the you know general websites. And you might end up finding a much more cost-effective or budget-effective option. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, let's see, what other concluding comments we have here? Um, quiet mouths don't eat. Quiet mouths don't eat. Yeah, sh- you know, show, show what you know uh, respectfully. Um, show that you're a good fit to, to the team. Learn. If you have nothing to do for a long time, you know, pick something to do or ask around what you can do. 
That's that's just a general tip for all rotations, though. Um, learning a hospital is, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's a quick thing. You know, you have a certain uh, floor of the hospital to get to. It's just that's not a huge uh, obstacle yeah, in going to a new location. Especially with our program, since we already have to go through a lot of different hospitals in our program, that kind of makes us a lot more adaptable going into a new program's hospital. Like the supply closets are always going to be in a similar location. Exactly. The central yeah. supply in the OR is always going to be similar. Where to get gloves, where to get gowns, all that stuff. So, yeah. If you're ready to figure out how to get in the supply closet on your own, like if a resident asks, like, hey, like, I need these supplies, instead of saying, like, oh, I'm not sure where those are, you're just saying, like, okay, I'm going to go get it. And then you're asking nurse. And I think above all, enjoy the experience to be somewhere different and learn a new system. Um, it's a very unique opportunity in your fourth year to be able to travel around and see different hospitals, see different systems from your home institution. So I think just enjoy the experience and learn as much as you can from it. That's a great takeaway because that, that may be where you train in the future. So you, sh you should think of it as this, you know, I, I may come here in the next year to be here for the next couple of years. So Yeah, if you don't like a program, don't like don't don't hold that against yourself like you know, take it as an opportunity to see, like, oh, well, at least I figured out that this program wasn't the best fit for me, but at least I learned a lot from it, and I'm going to go to this next program and taking that in mind and seeing where I like. Exactly. Well, we're going to leave it here, so thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jack Bayer and Skylar Coetzee. I wish you both the best in, in your residency matching. So... <laughs> <laughs>